Hello and welcome to Inside Maine. And today we're going to talk about one of the most inside Maine issues I can think of, the mighty and the esteemed lobster. We're going to be talking about the lobster industry, its past, its future, its importance to Maine, some of the issues that the industry is facing, and how it is developing as one of Maine's truly iconic products and symbols. Uh, First with us is Matt Jacobson. Matt is the head of the Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative. He's also worked for Maine & Company developing uh, the economic future of Maine. And Matt, uh, first give us the big picture of how important lobsters are to our state. It's an enormous industry. Uh, Last year alone, just at the dock, the prices for lobster totaled $540 million. Uh, And you figure a significant multiplier effect as lobstermen buy traps and boats and trucks and all the rest. So we figure it's worth uh, more than a billion dollars to Maine economy. So half a billion dollars at the dock, and that doesn't even count lobster rolls. That's correct. Just at the dock with lobstermen and dealers uh, negotiate between each other. And and one of the uh, it, it's it's a little bit of a downside, but one of the things that's happened in the last twenty five or thirty years is the decline of the other fisheries, but the the rise of of lobstering. Now it's what eighty percent of the landed value along the main coast. Oh, I think it's probably more than that. I think we're eighty percent of the lobsters caught in the country, but frankly, most of the other species are are not significant in comparison in terms of revenue. And how about people? How about jobs? What are we What are we talking about? Uh, we've got uh, fifty six hundred licensed lobstermen. Got three hundred and fifteen uh, licensed dealers. So certainly, you know, just on the water, it's more than ten thousand people when you count sternmen and and captains. Uh, and then shoreside, it's got to be double or triple that. Oh yeah, you talk about people in restaurants and and you know Reds eats <laughs> down in absolutely. In West no, it's, it's a significant. It's a significant employer in, in our state. Now, I've always thought that one of the amazing things about lobsters is that we've still got them, and that the method of catch really hasn't been changed in I don't know how long, as long as I know, a hundred years, maybe fifty, seventy-five. And we catch them in a way that preserves them. It's a very sustainable fishery. It's really astonishing when you stop and focus on it a bit. It's really a model for the world in terms of how you manage a fishery. And it's one of the things that we find in our work uh, when we bring media and culinary professionals to to Maine and show them. They're always astonished when a lobsterman throws uh, a lobster back. And (laughs) and they throw back probably 90%, 80% of what they catch because our rules about what you can take are so stringent. And the lobstermen themselves enforce them, and that's really the beauty of the system is the lobstermen get it. All of the rules originated on the water and were just codified by the government. But in I guess in 1820, uh, the lobstermen started with their sustainability measures. So we were sustainable before it was cool. And there's rules around the traps and how they have to be big enough so the little lobsters can get out. We've got rules around how small a lobster you can take and how large a lobster you can take. We don't take the breeding females, and not only don't we take them, we we make a notch on on one of their flippers so that the next guy that catches her, whether or not she has eggs, throws her back anyway, just because uh, they're protecting the breeding stock. So it's it's an astonishing self-regulated fishery, and we've been rewarded for that. You know, and back when you were governor, I think we caught something like 30 or 40 million pounds, and, and today we're catching 131 million. It's amazing. Uh, it's a, the growth it really is. Uh, is more than doubled. But again, I think what is important to realize is that if the state had allowed 
dragging for lobsters, for example, or scuba diving or some other much more uh, aggressive way of catching them, uh, they'd all be gone, just you know, like like the some of the other fish in the Gulf of Maine. And and uh, and as you say, what's really cool about it is that this really originated with the lobstermen themselves because they realized they had to do this sustainably, or or they'd run through their own resource. No, I think that's exactly right. The the public policy has supported them in, in that regard, and now you know we have sustainable fishery that you know five and six and seven generation lobstermen are continuing to ply. So it's a great success story from that perspective. Now, what about what you, you do, which is marketing, and 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 how are we doing in Chicago and San Francisco and Denver? Is the uh symbolism and the value and, of course, the good taste of Maine lobsters, is it growing? Are we growing our markets? We are. And, and you know, the evidence of that is, is the price has, has been relatively stable, uh, even in, in the light of these huge volume increases. Um, so that, that tells you the demand is, is certainly growing to, to keep up with, there, with our supply. Yeah, there are very few products you could double the supply and the price would remain roughly the same. And, and we're up nearly five times in 30 years. So it's, it's a pretty astonishing uh, track record. But we've, we have found um, a couple of things that are, that are interesting, at least to us, is that, that 80% of seafood consumed in North America, according to the National Restaurant Association, is consumed in a restaurant. And we think, we don't have numbers for this, but we think for lobster, it's more than that. You know, you get that outside of Maine, and, and most people aren't familiar with it. A lot of supermarket chains don't have tanks anymore. So very rare do you see a lobster cooked at home across the country. So we've really focused our effort on chefs and, and restaurants and culinary media uh, to get the word out. And, if, you know, they're interested in four or five things um, before they think about menuing. And, and one of their big issues is sustainability. Um, they love to hear about the lobstermen, that farm-to-table, boat-to-table story. They're really curious about seasonality and the fact that we catch a new shell hard lobster in the summer and a hard shell in the winter. That's had a ton of resonance. And they're creating all sorts of new dishes with it. Uh, in fact, butter now is only, is only served with lobster about 20% of the time across oh. the country. Most of the time now it's with Asian influences and cilantro and ginger and all sorts of different flavors. So it's, it's kind of a fun uh, transformation of what chefs are imagining they could do with, with lobsters. Now, one of the issues, of course, with lobsters is they've got to be shipped live and they've got to be cooked live unless they're frozen. And the frozen technology has advanced, hasn't it? To, so you can really do a quality product uh, that's frozen. It absolutely frozen. has. And I, I, won't, I won't give out trade secrets, but there are some very prominent restaurants across the country that are doing extraordinarily well that are, are using exclusively frozen meat. They, the processes have just... Uh, but you can't tell. No, sir. Not even close. And they're doing very, very well. So it's, in fact, we've had, um, we had a, a chef who was number two on top, Chef Kwame, uh, who came up last year and actually hosted an event for us in Washington last year. And, and he even says on a video that he couldn't tell the difference. And this is a world-renowned chef. The technology is, is there. Well, and we've got uh, companies like Luke's Lobster that started with a couple of young guys in Maine. And now I think they have, how many restaurants do they have? 15 or something? 27. Some? That's ridiculous. <laughs> All over the country, including here in Washington. Well, and they have five in Japan. Uh, You know, the model uh, that Luke has employed, uh, and he's partnered with a co-op in Tenants Harbor, uh, is really, from my money, the way of the future. It it really gives the lobstermen um, visibility to the supply chain and an opportunity to participate in the value creation that happens after the dock. And frankly, for, from Luke's perspective, having a built-in sales force with 
stories about where they catch it and the authenticity of that enhances his sales. So it's an incredible partnership and one that I'm, I'm really hopeful. I think that that's the way of the future, especially as consumers you know, in this Amazon, Whole Foods world are able to access exactly what they want. We have what they want. They just don't know it yet. Well, it would be nice to see more of the value going back to the, to the guys that are out there on the water in, in uh, March. <laughs> and, well, absolutely. And, 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 and our local dealers as well. And, 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 you know, folks don't realize the value, you know, and they do it anonymously. And, and you know, it's not the sexiest story on the planet. But the people that, that pick up that stuff and freeze it and, and you know, Luke's plant, and there's, there's 300 of these folks that are doing it, that work is, is really unsung and not, not rewarded. So the more we can do to, to bring that value creation back to the local level and, and get it out of some of these, you know, enormous food aggregators, then, then the value will accrue back home. That's really our goal. Well, one of the things that, you know, we can try to help down here is there's a program, I'm sure you're familiar with the Market Access Program and foreign, yes, foreign Market Development. We're trying to significantly increase the funding. That's a high payback investment, don't you think? I think it's probably the single best, you know, international public policy we can do. And the reason, you know, it's pretty simple. All of our dealers are small. Right, these are not huge businesses. Like you know, they, they do business overseas. Yeah, so they don't they, have a they don't have a, a an overseas marketing staff. Exactly, they don't have the wherewithal to get into those markets. So they need some help. You know, and it's it's tough understanding currency exchange and customs regulations and and getting through language barriers and customer acquisition and contract negotiation and dispute resolution. All of that is hard in a different country, uh, especially when you're small. Well, and of course, the other piece is, from a marketing point of view, I used to tell businesses in Maine, 95% of the market is outside of North America. That's where the growth is. Well, and the opportunity to diversify um, is enormous. Any demand input is good for us. And so if we, can, if we can have a choice of customers, then that's really the best place you can be in. Well, I'm going to be talking to Genevieve McDonald in a few minutes about her work on the water uh, up around Stonington. But let me ask you a more uh, sort of a serious question what are we seeing? We're at these record high harvests. Is is that worrisome that we're not going to be able to sustain that? Well, you know, it's an outdoor sport. And and so, you know, if you look at data across time, uh, harvests, you know, rise and fall over, over time. And, and, you know, the fact that we're so high now, um, there's something going on that we don't understand you know, on the water. And that's, you know, we're kind of in the toy department here in the marketing department, but it is, it is something we're concerned about. Um, how do you, how do you a sustain these volumes, and b once you have these volumes, how do you ensure you have markets for them? So it's kind of a double-edged sword for us. Um, and and so you know, world events matter way more to us than they ever did. You know, when when the Canadians and the Europeans pass CETA, the the, the new trade agreement. Oh yeah, they ma- they make a deal that uh, gives their lobsters an advantage in in Europe. Exactly. We, we've got to pay attention to that. And when we only caught 30 million pounds, we could sell most of that in the U.S., and, and that really didn't affect us. Well, now it does. Uh, you know, when the president, you know, makes noise about, you know, South Korea and that trade deal, South Korea is one of the top five companies, countries we ship lobster to. So, no so kidding. South oh, yeah. Korea is a major destination for Maine it lobsters. Is. It is. You know, and so, you know, just the talk of that as, you know, customers in South Korea will then say, well, geez, maybe I need to find a Canadian supplier to keep, keep my doors open. You know, that's a problem for us. Now we've yeah, got but the to, Canadian uh, lobsters don't taste as good. I mean, everybody knows that. They don't. But, um, <laughs> but again, it's a, it's a marketing effort. And, and look, we love the Canadians, and they primarily uh, fish counter-cyclically to us. They, they and they do a lot of the processing. They do. I like to say we're frenemies. 
and, and there's a lot to partner about with them. But the point is, is that we've got these huge harvests. We've got a, a you know, we don't know why. Um, we know the cod's gone. We know our sustainability practices are great. And we know the lobsters like the water a little warmer. Um, but, you know, where does that, where does that lead us? Where does it, do we continue to grow like this? Is this, you know, the new normal? We don't know the answers to any of those questions. And, and so that is a little unsettling. It is. How about uh, China? Is that a major destination? If we could have every Chinese once a week have a lobster roll, man, we'd, all our troubles would be over. China is hard um, because of the language barriers and the customs difficulties and and the political uh, climate around it and you know and again we're small businesses and and I think I think the industry has done a really good job on on recognizing the, the, the opportunity and, and and beginning the services but not you know leveraging our future just in one market it's a great demand put it's a great opportunity uh, but diversification here is really the key. Well, and then that includes Europe, and it includes Cleveland, right? I mean, absolutely. There's, yeah, there's I, a I lot of market lot. growth everywhere. Well, we we did events this summer in Dallas and Chicago and San Francisco and in New York City, and there, you know, we've done these now for two or three years, and the attendance is we're getting calls now from chefs. Geez, we really want to come to your event when you're in our town, wow. which is great. They love the story. We have these little luncheons afterwards with the local fishmongers. And, uh, and, and what we're finding with those guys is they're hungry for information, and they're the guys that sell to the chefs. So we're finding you know, huge marketing opportunities really across the country, and that's, that's really gratifying for us because that's a market that's not going to change based on international affairs and, sure. and one that we can service from a, a relatively easy And don't uh, you think part thing. of the appeal of the lobster is Maine, that it has, that's part of the image? It's absolutely part and parcel. You know, everyone has a romantic story or a romantic aspiration about Maine. And, and so we tap into that. Um, you know, we work, we work pretty closely with the DCD and the tourism department to make sure our messages are coordinated. Um, but it's a big circle, right? Okay. When the tourists come here and they have lobster and they go home and ask for it, you know, people at home ask for lobster and, and eat it and say, geez, I want to come to Maine and have more of this. It really is uh, an interesting relationship. You could even say that they claw their way through the traffic of <laughs> southern New England to get here. I, mean, no, I, I would never say that myself. But, no, sure. And, uh, not either. <laughs> and one final question. Don't we need a lobster emoji on our phones? You, of I mean, course seriously. We do. Of course we do. Well, you know, there's a big campaign around that, and Luke, Luke started that, uh, Luke Holden, Luke's yeah. Lobster, and, and your office, of course, and thank you for your support on it. it. It's a fun way to get the message out, and the more people talk about it, the more people tweet about it, the more people make social media posts, uh, the more people read about it in the paper, the more likely is some of them are going to order it, and well, that's the well, whole point of it. I mean, it's a fun way to do it, but yes, we need that. For when sure. I told somebody the other day, it's a, uh, it, it's, it's a fun way to promote a serious business. That's what we're Absolutely. talking about. Matt, Absolutely. Matt, thank you very it's much. Uh, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Always great to talk to you, and uh, keep at it. Let us know uh, how we can help uh, sell lobsters, whether it's in uh, Cleveland or Shanghai. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank you here about uh, all your help for National Lobster Day. Um, we reached yesterday, uh, just in, in earned media, in stories that got placed, more than 100 million Americans had an opportunity to read about Maine Lobster because of National Lobster Day. So well, this is one where the whole thing. Maine congressional delegation, on a totally nonpartisan basis, was on uh, exactly the same idea and the same uh, wavelength. So it was great. Well, it worked. Thank you. Matt, thank you. Talk to you later, okay. man. Be well. Bye-bye.
We're back on Inside Maine, and we're talking about one of the most Inside Maine issues I can think of, the mighty lobster. And we just talked to Matt Jacobson at the Lobster Marketing Collaborative about selling lobsters around the world and around the country and how the industry is doing. But now we wanted to talk to someone who is out on the water about the art and science of fishing for lobster. Genevieve McDonald was born in Bar Harbor, but currently fishes out of Stonington. Genevieve, you really are a lobster woman, right? I really am. Absolutely. I'm the captain of the Hello Darling 2 out of Stonington, Maine. And tell me about your life, I mean, on the water. What, What time do you go out? How many days a week? How many hours? How many traps do you fish? So I fish an average of five days a week. I usually lose a day to weather, um, depending, or maybe I want to let them soak a little bit more. Um, I get up around 4.30 in the morning, and I get down to the boat and start my day. I'm usually in around 2 in the afternoon, and I haul about 200 traps a day. And how many keepers do you get per trap pulling up? I mean, is it well? I don't want to give away my secret, but (laughs) (laughs) it really varies on the season. I mean, things are a little bit slower in the spring; they pick up a little bit more in the fall. I will say that the percentage of lobsters that I keep out of what I actually catch is relatively low. Um, We have a lot of conservation measures in place, so there are many, many lobsters that I catch that go right back into the water to, you know, support the breeding stock for the next generation. Right. Matt and I were talking about that. I think it's really an amazing story about the Maine lobster industry. Going back, Matt says, till to 1820, pretty much self-regulated, that has enabled this fishery almost uniquely above others to survive and, in fact, grow and thrive. Absolutely. I mean, we've had fishermen-initiated conservation measures in place for many, many, many generations, and we are definitely seeing the return from that. It's a very sustainable fishery, and I see no reason why it won't continue. And uh, the important thing is, as you mentioned, you throw back more than you keep. Oh, absolutely. Every Probably haul. 70 or 80 percent of the lobsters that I catch go right back over the side. Now, what months of the year do you fish? It's not just a July, August, and September. No, so I actually also fish for halibut. And so halibut season starts May 1st. And so I have my boat in the water from the 1st of May through Christmas. And I lobster fish from about the end of June um, until Christmas time. And you're out there in pretty much all weather unless it's just uh, a howling nor'easter. You're out there in fog and rain and yep. and you have a sternman on the boat? I do, yep. In, in this case, it's a lobster woman and a stern man. Is that the way it works? So I don't <laughs> use the term lobster woman personally. Um, I consider myself a lobsterman, a captain. Um, if the conversation calls for it, I might say female commercial fisherman. But overall, I tend to just use the title stern man, lobsterman, you know, so on and so forth. Well, that's good. So I can use lobsterman with you and not be afraid of, of the uh, political correctness police. No, no repercussions. <laughs> okay, there you go. Tell me what, you, what you're seeing on the water. Are you seeing any changes? We've had this huge growth in the last, say, 20 years. When I was in Augusta, I think the, the, I remember the catch being like 50 million pounds, and now it's over 125. Where's it headed? Absolutely. I mean, when I've, I've been fishing just over a decade, and when I first started fishing, we did not have the landings like we have now, not even close. I mean, I've really seen it change from being relatively low but kind of steady landings to this explosion, especially on the inshore waters. I mean, we just have these record-breaking catches year after year after year. And along with that, we are seeing, a, you know, a slow increase in the water temperature in the Gulf of Maine. So, I believe that there's a real correlation between water temperature and lobster recruitment. 
And I will say for this year, we had a very cool spring. It kept the water temperatures down. And lobster was, the season was really slow to start. Um, and so there's, there's a real connection between water temperature and lobster populations and growth. And so, you know, there's an optimum temperature, but then there is also a high for that. And so if things, you know, become too warm, if climate change really starts to have an impact, unfortunately, I think that we will see the lobster population start to shift north. The center of gravity has already shifted in your direction, hasn't it? I mean, the, the, it has, yeah. from, from Casco Bay up through uh, Muscungus and, and Penobscot, it, it seems to be moving down east. Absolutely. Uh, Stonington is right now the number one port for lobster landings in the U.S. It has not always been so. Talk about what it takes to get a license. What do you, uh, what did you have to go through? It, anybody can't just walk in and say, "I'd like a lobster license, please." Here's my ten right. bucks. So we have a apprentice program in the state of Maine. It is two years, twenty four months, a thousand hours, and two hundred days. And so you need to work underneath, you know, work for another captain for that amount of time, and also complete a U.S. Coast Guard safety course. And then once you complete all of these steps, there's still no guarantee that you will get a license in a timely manner. Uh, Maine has limited entry. So there are seven lobster fishing zones in the state of Maine, and they all have different entry-exit ratios. So so many licenses need to retire before a new license can come in. I happen to live in Zone C, so we have a one-to-one exit ratio. It's fairly permissive compared to other areas. We have high landings. We can support maybe a few more licenses than, say, Casco Bay. So I believe they have a three-to-one ratio down there. So you, you, there is the potential to be on a waiting list for quite a few years before you can enter the fishery. But one of the things that's important about this, and I can remember working with Robin Alden about this, you know, 25 years ago, that in these zones, the lobstermen have a lot of power. They have a lot of control over how it works. Isn't that right? You, you sort of make your own rules. Well, I wouldn't go that far because we definitely are beholden to the legislature and the Department of Marine Oh, Resources. sure, the overall, the overall um, law. But we have a lot of collaborative, a lot of um, collaborative lawmaking, a very collaborative relationship. We have a lot of input. Maine, um, Robin Alden actually put them into effect, has lobster councils. So each zone has a council made up by lobstermen that vote on, you know, how they want things to go. Some things are completely at the power of the zone council, like setting the entry-exit ratio. For yeah, that that's, that, that's, that's what I was driving at. Yeah, and then other issues, you know, what, how the zone councils weigh in on various issues definitely has an impact on the decisions that are made in Augusta. So fishermen in Maine definitely have a tremendous role in the management of the fishery. Now, talk to me about the impact in the community. I mean, you're, you're in Stonington. How, what, what do lobsters mean to Stonington? Lobsters mean everything to Stonington. We are very much a commercially, commercial fisheries-driven working waterfront community. It is the number one um, economic driver of our community and a lot of communities in Down East Maine. We are very dependent, and not just dependent, but also intertwined. Our history, our culture, our sense of place is very much connected to the fisheries. Well, and particularly as the other fisheries have declined, uh, lobstering has really taken over more than filled the filled the gap. Absolutely. Um, and that's great, but it's also a very precarious position to be in. You know, back to climate change, there's a couple of things that I think are really important. And one is definitely mitigating the risk as much as we can against climate change, mm-hmm. but also to keep in mind that climate change is a change. As lobster populations shift north, other 
species are going to shift into the Gulf of Maine from the Mid-Atlantic. And so fishermen are fairly versatile. We've been able to overcome, you know, the collapse of the ground fishing industry and then go into lobster. And I don't know what will come next. You but mean I someday we'll be catching mahi-mahi and the Maybe, or blue crabs. Um, but it's important that we secure access to those fisheries for Maine fishermen. We may not have blue crabs here now, but we need to be ready to be able to access permits and licenses and come up with the groundwork to be able to harvest those species when they do arrive. And to be able to do it sustainably like we've been Absolutely. able to do with lobsters. I mean, that's the that's the key to it. If, if As I was talking to Matt, if, if we had allowed dragging for lobsters or scuba diving or, you know, some other kind of going along the bottom, they'd all, they'd be gone. They'd be gone like, oh, the, yeah. like the ground fish. No, we've done a fantastic job managing lobster and keeping it sustainable, and it's definitely something that we want to look forward to in the future for anything else that may come. You mentioned climate change. Do you have any doubt that climate is changing? No, not at all. Because you're, you're out there. I mean, you, yep. this is your I life. Believe- I mean, it's not just my experience on the water, but just, you know, being a human on Earth. I mean, I think anybody can look around and see different effects that are taking place. We have these monstrous storms down in the Caribbean, one right after the other. I mean, and, we have, and we have 86 degrees in Augusta, Maine on September 25th. Oh, I know. It was 91 degrees at the Common Ground Fair. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot to handle. Um, so, I, I mean, I think most people are able to look around and see, you know, just in their daily lives, different environmental changes. Well, and, and, you know, as you mentioned, we've got to be ready to adapt. We've also got to try to figure out ways to mitigate the worst effects so that we don't have these kinds of tragic and, and far-reaching changes that will affect all along the main coast, just sea level rise, for example. Absolutely, yes. That's a big threat to our working waterfront, too. Well, I want to know if uh, you, if looking back, now, how long have you been on the water? Uh, just over a decade. And uh, of all the career choices available to you, uh, any, any doubt that you picked the right one that fits uh, Genevieve McDonald? None at all. <laughs> it's been an excellent fit. I enjoy it very much. And are younger people coming into the industry? Absolutely. I'm actually currently at the Eastern Maine Skippers Fall Cohort, which is a educational training program for future fishermen and future you know, students of marine science or the merchant marines. There are definitely a lot of marine-based opportunities in Maine. That's another Robin Alden project, isn't it? It is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we should identify. Robin Alden was Commissioner of Marine Resources during my first term as governor. She's from Stonington, and I think she and her husband, Ted Ames, are two of the most creative and thoughtful people about the ocean resource and also the economics of coastal communities. Uh, and I'm sure you know her well living in Stonington. I do. Yeah, they're wonderful people. Well, Genevieve, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for, oh, and I, I should mention the one final very important question. Don't you think there ought to be a lobster emoji on everybody's Absolutely. Phones? Of course. And thank you so much for your support <laughs> on that issue, Senator. I saw that you had written a letter. Um, yes, in this digitally connected age, we definitely need a lobster emoji. I'm a little bit crabby, too, that there isn't one. Yeah, there you go. I feel the same way. Well, thanks very much, Genevieve. Have a great day uh, at the forum. And uh, Uh, Good days on the water and good catch. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for being with us on Inside Maine. We've been talking about lobsters today, about selling them, catching them, and everything in between. A great part of the Maine economy and uh, fun to talk about this week of National Lobster Day. Thanks very much for being with us. We'll talk to you again. (music) 